Hi, it's Hal Anderson. Thanks for checking out the daily podcast for my show, Connecting Winnipeg. And if you can, please listen live weekdays from 10 to noon on 680 CJOB. Good morning. Hope you had a great weekend. We're starting our Monday morning here on Connecting Winnipeg by talking about snow clearing in the city of Winnipeg. In the city of Winnipeg. On the street, but... More on sidewalks, and our question of the day, I'll get to that in a bit, relates to this at cjob.com. Uh, we're going to talk to a blind man in just a moment about how he is managing to get around on the streets of Winnipeg or on the sidewalks in the city of Winnipeg. Let me begin with a clip from the start this morning with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Alan Mankiewicz uses a wheelchair, and he lives in downtown Winnipeg. started on Friday. I tried to get to my office to go to work and I didn't make it half a block down my street. Uh, so I turned around and worked from home and, you know, that was kind of understandable. The snow is still falling. I'm not an unreasonable person. I, I know they can't clear everything immediately, but, um, you know, going into Saturday, I thought, you know, maybe things would start getting better. Uh, as I mentioned, I went for a coffee with a friend uh, and, you know, to a place not too far from where I live. Uh, I got stuck several times and, uh, yeah, so, and then yesterday I I went out again, and it was still really difficult to get around. So, yeah, just pretty frustrating. Michael Cantor, manager of streets maintenance with the city of Winnipeg, was just on the start, and he says that P1 or Priority 1 streets and sidewalks, they, they start plowing them at the same time. But there is a but. The streets are being cleared much faster than sidewalks. Uh, there's a different type of inventory, and it takes slower. It takes more time to plow sidewalks than streets. That, that's why there is a gap between the uh, sidewalks and uh, and streets. As well as we usually start plowing sidewalks, uh, sorry, streets first, as we want to make sure that we can open our uh, snow routes to uh, any emergency vehicles. So that's why we start plowing them first. Michael Cantor, City of Winnipeg. Our question of the day at cgob.com. Go and vote, and then let me know your thoughts by text or email. The question is, Priority 1 sidewalks are supposed to be cleared in the same time frame as Priority 1 streets. Do you think the city does a good job at that? 68% so far saying no, 32% saying yes. I'll read your text messages and emails, but we're going to open the phones up here in about 10 minutes. So if you've got some thoughts on this, I'd love to get your phone calls. How is the city of Winnipeg doing with the snow so far on the streets, but especially on sidewalks? 204 780 6868. We'll go to the phones and take your calls in about 10 minutes. Tracy Garbett is with the CNIB, friend of mine. He's been a regular guest on, on this show, uh, well, on my shows here on CGOB. No, I don't think you've been on this one yet. Have you, Tracy? Good morning. Well, this is the first time. I'm uh, glad to be on, Hal. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, you're blind. You uh, use a white cane. You also have a, a guide dog. Yeah. And you have actually worked with the city over the years on doing a better job of clearing the sidewalks especially for you know people that have mobility issues seniors people who are visually impaired like you uh alan who who's in a wheelchair how have they done we're i guess four days in now after the snowfall how have they done so far well, you know, I think for a wheelchair person, I think, I mean, right off the hop, there's there's not many sidewalks right now that they're going to be able to go down. And, uh, you know, they started off pretty quick with this first snowfall. But what I found is that almost sometimes too quick because then so much other snow fell overnight that I think some of the priority one sidewalks were done. But then the buildup 
throughout the night also caused a lot of problem. And, um, you know, when you uh, texted me this morning and asked me to come on, I this morning coming home from the gym, I made sure I got off the bus a little early just to actually test out some sidewalks and and um, got to a couple of places. And there's no way, I mean, if you're using a walker, um, if I was using my cane, I would have stayed on the bus. Uh, it just wouldn't have been that easy to travel. And even with my dog, I got to a certain point and she was refusing to work and I couldn't figure out why. And I was on the sidewalk and I know the the spot where I had to cross was right there. But then when I put my foot forward, there was about a three foot drift where the plow went by and just buried the sidewalk. So to cross, I had to climb over and then try to get across the street safely. So, you know, I think that they're, you know, they are working at it, but Sometimes it's done too soon and all the snow hasn't fell, but at the same time, you don't want to not do it as well. So I think there's sometimes there's that catch 22 where, you know, damned if you do and damned if you don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Depending on how the snow falls, right? We might get a blast. They start cleaning the sidewalks and then we get another blast of snow. And then what was the point? Um, I get what you're saying, but when we have talked about this in the past, you have said to me, and we're well into winter, uh, because they don't always do a great job of keeping sidewalks clear, even halfway through winter or late in winter, do they? No, and I think that it's like even now, I mean, they they have to have a more regular schedule about going out doing sidewalks because if I didn't have my dog um, you know I would stay on the buses longer and uh, I definitely wouldn't venture out near as much and I live on a street with no sidewalks as well so um, you know without the dog um, it's hard to find where you're going a lot of times so uh, yeah I don't know I, I think they need to be you know definitely picking up the pace a little bit and having more regular sidewalk plows out because, uh, you know, things happen and plows go by and they try to fix stuff, but then they leave others behind. The sidewalk plow is already gone and uh, now they've, you know, they've blocked it off. Like where I went across today, it was blocked off. The sidewalk was done, but then a plow must have went by and then reburied it. Mm -hmm. And somebody listening right now, go ahead. Finish. Yeah, and and you know, and and again, it's it's uh, kind of the the left and the right hand knowing what they're doing, and if they follow their GPS maps, they're going to be able to look at how uh, the plows are actually going in the sidewalk. You can follow them, um, you know, they're they're done by GPS now, so uh, they might be able to re resend someone out again. But the drift that I had to cross, the sidewalk plow couldn't go through that. It's too heavy, and they're not designed to move that kind of of uh, uh, amount of snow mm-hmm. somebody is suggesting and we'll get into this because we're going to open up uh, open up the phones here in about five minutes and i want to hear your thoughts on this somebody else is saying hey hal i kind of think that people should be responsible for clearing the snow in front of their own home um let me know your thoughts on that if you want it 204-780-6868 grab a line now because we'll be going to the phones in just a few minutes um you know and the other thing i wanted to uh, ask you about tracy you're you're blind alan the clip i played from the start this morning he's in a wheelchair but this really does affect a lot of people right like we're talking seniors people with canes and walkers mobility issues disabilities it's not just uh you know you with your white cane or your guide dog and and alan in his wheelchair no, and that's the thing. Like today, there's no way someone with a walker could have walked where I went today. There's no way. I struggled enough as it was, 
And uh, Marion was, I could tell she was sizing up a lot of different spots because she was unsure. She's supposed to travel in with the least amount of resistance, but we were trudging through some deep stuff and then we had to climb over the little hill. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. something that I, I don't recommend people to do. I mean, even, you know, if you're using your cane, it's not safe, but I know my dog and I was able to do it. But other than that, uh, if I was using my cane, I don't know if I could have made it that stretch coming home today. I really mm-hmm. don't. And let me ask, what street was that? What street was that? It was, was it a P one or? Um, I, it would be because it was Portage Avenue. Oh wow! Yeah, and we're four I, days I, I in, got, right? And th- I, and that's I, my yeah. point. We're four days in. Yeah, I got off at in front of Polo Park, so it's a it's a high traffic area, and then I crossed Portage, which was dicey in a few spots, and went along the south side of Portage to go past the Viscount and all that, and uh, that's where coming off the overpass or whatever, uh, the sidewalk was was kind of done, and then the plow must have went by and buried it, and then mm. uh, going over the the St James Bridge and all that, and going into my area, um, you know. Uh, I would do it with my cane in the summertime, but never in the winter. Yeah. Hey, Tracy, thanks a lot for this. Nice chatting with you. You bet. Uh, Good luck, everybody out there with the snow. Yeah. Thank you. Tracy Garbett at the CNIB. The virus has impacted us from head to toes, and what we're finding is these long-haul symptoms are also very kind of head to toes, from breathing to heart problems, severe uh, fatigue, mental health issues. Epidemiologist Cynthia Carr on long-haul COVID-19. Joining us now to talk about this and other COVID stuff, Jason Kindrachuk, Assistant Professor, Canada Research Chair, Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the University city of manitoba jason good morning good morning al we've actually been reporting this morning this new study that's happening at the u of m on long haul symptoms what what do you know about long haul what can you tell us about this it's been described another clip that we've been running of cynthia carr uh, she says people that have these symptoms describe it almost like having a concussion yeah, you know, it's been very diverse, right? And I think we're still trying to figure out, you know, what what is the, I guess, the total impact of COVID in terms of long, uh, you know, kind of long-haul complications. What is associated directly with recovery from infection and, and from disease? Uh, what are things that maybe are not associated that have become, uh, you know, somewhat uh, serendipitously uh, associated? Uh, unfortunately, with, uh, with, you know, with people that have recovered. So I, I think we're still very much in an infancy. And I think certainly trying to figure out what this looks like abro- across the broader population. It's, listen, it's difficult. I, I deal with uh, a disease with, with Ebola where, you know, we see long, you know, certainly long uh, symptoms of, uh, you know, of disease in, in recoveries for years. Um, but they're very diverse and trying to necessarily understand what the underlying reasoning is or, or what's at, at fault is, is a much more difficult uh, venture than, than anything else. You know, we, we talk about the pandemic coming to an end at some point, pandemics end, but what will be the long-term impact of COVID-19? I know some of these people that have long-haul symptoms have them for a few months, but as you said, we're early on here. We don't know. I have a feeling we may be looking back years from now and still dealing with these long-haulers. Well, you know, it's interesting. So we're, we're running a study right now looking at, uh, at basically long, uh, you know, long-haul symptoms in, uh, in Ebola virus survivors. Uh, so we're looking at, you know, five to seven years uh, post-recovery in, in Sierra Leone. And in our 
cohorts of patients, um, you know, we're seeing a lot, certainly a lot of depression, um, some, you know, re- potential reproductive health impacts, certainly, um, you know, some, some additional uh, impacts in regards to ocular pain and headaches. So th- these things are, are not necessarily as uh, maybe, I don't want to say they're not as surprising with COVID as, as we maybe would ha- have thought, but certainly we've seen them with other diseases. Are we finally seeing the fourth wave here in the province of Manitoba, Jason? It feels like that. Uh, yeah, it's a certain amount of pessimism uh, after the last uh, the last week or so, isn't there? Yeah, I think we certainly are. Um, certainly going to be interested to see the the trends today. Uh, I think the unfortunate reality is we knew where cases were were going to uh, to really kind of rile up fast with, with our unvaccinated uh, population, but the virus has been able to find cracks across the province, and that's more concerning because it's not as easy as just shutting off one health district. Now, now you have to try and get buy in from everybody across all your communities, including those that are vaccinated, to continue up with, uh, you know, with their uh, additional uh, you know, measures to try and, and keep people protected. Mm-hmm. And because we are so connected, right? I mean, we're, you know, people that live in the South travel to Winnipeg, vice versa. I mean, it, it really is uh, impacting all of us, but obviously, especially the unvaccinated. Absolutely. And I think we have to gain, we have, we have to go back to appreciating that, listen, it's not just the southern health region that is completely unvaccinated and the rest of the province is 100% vaccinated. We still have pockets in Winnipeg and otherwise where there are lower vaccine uptakes that, that may be under that, that threshold that at least control transmission somewhat. So we, we've got to still be very, very cautious with, with high transmission rates in our communities. I'll tell you, I, I communicate off air with a lot of people by text message uh, or on social media, or by email, and uh, there's a lot of back and forth happening, and people are seeing cases of COVID uh, that are reported every day uh, in people who are fully vaccinated. There's been a lot of discussion about that. Uh, breakthrough cases certainly are possible, but I think what's really important to point out here is that if you are fully vaccinated and you do get COVID, the chances of you ending up in hospital or in ICU are significantly lower. And that's the key, right? That's what worries me. When I see hospitalizations rising and patients in ICUs rising, that's when I get worried because that's when we're stretching the healthcare system beyond its limits. You are 100% correct. And this weekend we saw certainly a lot of misinformation coming out saying, well, listen, the vaccines don't protect against getting infected. Uh, so that means they don't work at all. And listen, both of those are wrong. They, they do still protect to, to some extent from getting infected, though it's not 100%. Um, but they are certainly protecting people from, from ending up in the hospital. And we have to continue to look at those metrics. And, and yes, you may see breakthrough infections, but how many of those are actually ending up critically ill? Um, so, yes, we have to be very, very cautious, even if we're vaccinated. But we certainly reduce that stress on the health care system by getting vaccinated in the first place. We got new a word of new restrictions uh, on, on Friday that kicked in on Saturday. Um, we're going to talk about those coming up here. Were you surprised that there wasn't more from Dr. Rusin and Health Minister Audrey Gordon on Friday? I kind of was. I, I expected more. 
Yeah, I think I expected a little bit, uh, a little bit more. Um, I think you're hearing the frustration, certainly in, in Dr. Roos and in others from public health, uh, with you know, with again the messaging of saying, listen, we have to get it under control. Um, I, my concern is always, are we going to be you know a, a week shy of actually getting this under control when we get those those additional restrictions implemented? Right, let's see what the data says today. Maybe we'll all be surprised, um, but but certainly uh, I think the trajectory has already been set uh, somewhat in stone right now. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm hearing of some cases in schools anecdotally and we're, you know, hearing of, and I think the next big important piece of the puzzle is getting five to 11 year olds vaccinated. And that could, the word of that uh, being officially allowed in Canada could come very quickly, right? J- right now, Jason? Yeah, so I think we're still looking at, at, you know, close to the end of November, but I think what you're seeing is all the provinces are, are basically getting things uh, ready and set in place so that as soon as they're approved that we can start or, or authorized, we can start to see rollout happening. Um, so I expect that to actually happen very, very quickly. It's going to be a bit of an uphill battle. People are going to be, I think, more cautious with getting that age group vaccinated. Um, but listen, getting some kids vaccinated is going to be better than getting none vaccinated. So let's let's get a start at it. Jason, always appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Jason Kindrichuk, Assistant Prof, Canada Research Chair, Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the U of M.